The second reading is taken from 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. And it can be found on page 1185 of the Pew Bibles, or you can follow it on the overheads. 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of God. Thank you. Thank you, Melini, and also thank you to Brian for leading us in the prayer. It is great that we can pray together and depend on God and know that he listens and cares. Uh, there is also a, an outline of the sermon on the way in, if you've got one of that. Hopefully that you'll find that helpful. Some people like to take notes to, to really just keep themselves awake. So you might like to do that and not fall asleep. But so I see you, you see, from up here, I can see everything. Um, but there's also a full transcript of the talk. If you find that helpful and, and useful, you can grab one of those as well. Now, we've started a new series. We started last week thinking about the things that lie at the heart of Christian living. Last week, we looked at faith that perseveres, and we want to be growing in faith in increasing measure. Today, we're looking at love that serves, and likewise, we want to be growing in love as God's people, growing in increasing measure. And so let's uh, again commit our time to the Lord and ask that he might help us and change us in that way. Let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we reflect on your love for us, help us to understand your love more and more. 
seen and displayed in your son Jesus Christ, so that our love for each other might grow in increasing measure. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now when we do talk about love, what is it that we mean? I mean the word love itself is, is used in all sorts of ways and we can mean all sorts of things. For example, let's imagine this. You come home, you open the door of your home and the wonderful aroma comes from the kitchen and welcomes you in. It's the roast pork cooking away in the oven and the pork juices just dripping on the sweet potato under it and the gravy simmering away on the stove. And, and now I actually don't know what happens in the kitchen. I'm assuming you cook pork roast in the oven. But anyway, the aroma is just overwhelming. And then by dinner, you get to eat this roast pork and you think, I love this. That's love, isn't it? Is that what we mean when we say love? Or how about this? It's the wedding day. The wedding bells are ringing. And as the groom, imagining you're the groom, with great anxiety and great patience, you're waiting at the front of the church. The music starts and you see your bride walk in like an angel. And then when you meet eye to eye, her eyes are glistening, your eyes are gleaming, and you whisper to her, I love you. Is that what we mean? That's love as well, isn't it? Or you're in the hospital. Your wife is in labor. The nine months of waiting is over. She's screaming, making noise you've never heard before. And you're waiting with great anticipation. And then finally, your daughter is born. You hold her in your arms with tears in your eyes and you say, I love you. That's love as well, isn't it? And so what do we mean by love? We use it in all sorts of ways, in different ways, and we mean different things. Am I meant to look at my wife, Yvonne, and think of pork roast? Is that the same type of love? I mean, she wouldn't be too pleased if I thought that way too often, or at all. And so when we use the word love, what do we mean? In fact, what is the type of love that is expected amongst Christians? amongst us as the people of God? What is the type of love that is expected to lie at the heart of Christian living? So are we meant to look at each other each week when we gather on Sundays at growth groups during the week, whenever we meet, and think roast pork or something else? Well, that is what we'll be considering today. We'll be looking at what the great theologian uh, J.I. Packer he caught one of, the, one of the most tremendous utterances in the Bible. And that utterance is that God is love. It is this type of God love that we are to expect to lie at the heart of Christian living. A love that first comes from God to us and then overflows from us to each other. And so that's what we're going to see in this passage. So let's have a look. Do keep your Bibles open. We'll work our way through the, the first few verses. Now what we see in this chapter is perhaps one of the most dense passages of all of Scripture that speaks of love. And firstly what we see here is that love is from God originally. And it comes to us sacrificially. Love, you see, 
as an idea, as a way of life, is not a human invention. It was not our idea. Humans did not create or imagine up love. It's not like how we in our brilliance of our mind came up with the idea of love. And love is certainly not something which somehow evolved over billions of years from simple bacteria. I mean, that is nonsense. No, what we see here is that love is from God originally. And so when we come to think about love in its purest form, we in fact come to think about God himself. And when we come to think about the love of God, we are in fact moving into the heart of God. We are looking into the heart of God. And that is what we are doing in this passage. As we think about this, we see that love is from God originally. In fact, love existed before the creation of the world. That is profound. Love existed before the creation of the world. This is the great mystery of the Trinity. You see, before any one of us came into being, before, in fact, any life came to be, being, love existed already. Because what we find in the mystery of the Trinity is that the three persons of the Trinity, God, Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, was already eternally existing in loving relationship. You see, God did not have to learn to love he is love. He was always loving. He did not need to wait for us to come on the scene to love. He was always loving. And so God is love. That is what John the Apostle dared to utter. God is love. And you can't separate God and love. Just like you can't separate the sun and its rays. And you can't separate water and wetness and fire and heat. Now, if that is what we hear here, why do you think that's important to know? Why is it important to know that love pre-existed creation? Why is it important to know that God himself is love? Well, you see, it's important because it helps us make sense of life. If God is love and God made the universe in love, it makes sense of life. It is why when we live a life of love, we are living along the grain of the universe. It works in life. We are living in sync with the heart of God. It's why a loving life just works. It makes sense. You're a better person for it. You're more love because of it. And you don't really have to be a Christian to see that this is true. I mean, just consider, would you rather live in a family where there is strife, and chaos, and bickering, and hatred, and bitterness, or one where there is love. Makes sense, isn't it? Love works. Or would you rather be in a church where there is disharmony, and disunity, and envy, and jealousy, and gossiping, or one where there is love? It, it just makes sense. Love works. And love works because it is reflecting something of the heart of God himself. And that's why John says, look at verses 7 and 8 with me. He makes clear, verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so love is not our invention, not our idea. It comes from God originally. It was God's idea. In fact, it is God's nature. And so how has the love of God come to us? Well, what we find next is that it has come to us sacrificially. This is the type of love that God has, not like a love for roast pork. This is the type of love that God has. It is sacrificial. It is self-giving. It is selfless, and it is serving. You see, in the Greek, there's a unique word for that. It's the word agape. Agape. In the ancient world, in the ancient Greek and Roman world, they did not speak or think of love in such ways. You see, their gods didn't love their people. Their gods instead lusted after their women. And so they would never have thought about love in such a sacrificial way. And so what happened was the New Testament writers, they had to introduce what was virtually a new Greek word, agape, to describe the sacrificial, selfless, self-giving, serving type of love of God. And so what we see, love is from God originally, not our idea, and it has come to us sacrificially. But what does that look like? What is the measure and the extent of the love of God? Is it the love we see in a parent? Is it merely the love of a parent? I mean, if you're a parent or a grandparent or even auntie and uncle, your child might be hungry and so love says, I'll feed my child. And if I really love my child, I might give that child roast pork as well. Or if your child makes a mistake, hurts you deeply, offends you Dearly, or love says, I will forgive my child. Or if your child gets sick and very sick and needs a blood transfusion, well, love says, take my blood. I'll give my blood as much as you want. Or if your child gets very sick, kidney fails, liver fails, well, love says, take my kidney. Take as much of my liver as you need. Or if your child gets extremely sick and needs a heart transplant, well, love says, if at all possible, take my heart. But is the love of God just like that? Merely just like a parent? Well, you see, if your child is sick, of course you love your child. Of course you do anything for your child. It makes sense. But the love of God is outrageously different to that. The love of God goes beyond imagining, extending beyond the lovable to the unlovable. Your own child, of course, you're going to love, but the love of God is radical. It goes beyond the un to the unlovable, just like us as we see in the Bible. You see, many of us like to think that we ourselves, we're, we're so lovable that God actually needs us, that God really can't wait for us to meet on Sunday and sing songs to him like he's so lonely up there in heaven that he really needs us. And some of us might think that we're just so nice and kind and gentle and gorgeous. But what does God see when he looks into our hearts? Is that what he sees, a pure heart? Well, what God sees is every evil intention, 
every wicked inclination, every thought of our mind and heart that we would not dare show anyone else. I mean, if we were to show our heart's intentions and inclination on the screen, all of us would probably run away in shame. We would not want anyone to see. But you see, the love of God extends to even such people, the unlovable, to people like us. And God says, I see into your heart. I see your every thought and deed. I see it all. But my love extends to you too. I love you still. In fact, I'll love you to the extent that it will cost me my son. That is what the love of God is like. Far more than a parent. I mean, our own kid, of course we'll love our own kid. But God loving even his enemies. His son beaten and bruised instead of us. His son hanging on the cross, crucified instead of us. His son bearing the full wrath of God instead of us. And such is the love of God. And it has come to us sacrificially. Look at verses 9 and 10 now. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now we have to think about that deeply. I mean, for those of us who are parents, I mean, will we do such a thing for even someone we love, let alone an enemy? I would never give any of my kids to anyone, never. I mean, they might be brats once in a while, but I love them still. I would never give them up for anyone. But God would, and God has, and that is the heart of God. And so this love is from God originally, and it comes to us sacrificially. And so what difference do you think that's meant to make? If we now know that this is what God is like, what should we be like? If we have experienced this type of love from God, then how should those around us experience the love that comes from us? Well, what we see now is that the love of God comes to us so that it might necessarily and perfectly overflow to others. You see, John's making a pretty simple point. It's meant to come to us but not stay there. It's meant to overflow to others. And that is why Christianity as a faith can never be a selfish religion, must never be a selfish religion. Christians must never be selfish. I mean, a selfish Christian, it's, it's like an oxymoron. It's a contradiction. You see, the love of God comes to us, but it must necessarily overflow to others. Love that is not like for roast pork, but love that is sacrificial and selfless and self-giving and serving, always other person-centered. That is what God is like. Now, if you think about that, that is so radically countercultural to think this way of love. Often people like to think loving is to love yourself. I mean, that is what we read in self-help pop psychology. If you read it enough or see it enough, wonderful 
motivating quotes, they're just pure nonsense. Here are a few. Work on being in love with the person in the mirror who has been through so much but is still standing. I mean, what are you meant to see when you look in the mirror? You're probably meant to see blemishes, pimples and flaws on your face. But more than that, you're meant to see a sinner in need of a saviour. And you're meant to recognise that the only reason why you're standing is not by your power but by the grace of God alone. What about this other quote? This one's by Oscar Wilde. To love oneself is the beginning of a lifelong romance. How about that? That's a life philosophy. I mean, how sad is that? How lonely? Well, what about this? What if you simply devoted this year to loving yourself more? Now, what do you think will happen by the end of the year? Will you become a more loving person? No, you'll become more selfish, narcissistic, pain in the neck. I do not want to know such a person. You see, so we can't think the way the world thinks. It is countercultural. God's type of love is sacrificial. It is other person-centred. And if we are made in the image of God, which is our memory text this month, and God himself is selfless, sacrificial, other person-centred, then so must we. So must we. But I want you to reflect on that for a moment, of your own experience. Your own experience as a Christian, your own experience even in the church context. Because if you reflect on this enough, it's quite sad that often, more often than not, that this is even forgotten amongst Christians. That even amongst Christians we fail to love the way God loves us, sacrificially, selflessly. And we see it even in the church. Because how many churches do you know of have ended up breaking down? Splitting up, schisms, because there's a lack of unity, because there's a lack of peace, because there's a lack of forgiveness and reconciliation, because there is a lack of love, even among Christians. How sad is that? I mean, just in the last few years, since I started ministry, I've heard of countless, countless issues amongst Christians and churches and ministries Churches not too far from us, torn apart. Ministry teams failing, relationships broken, unreconciled, people leaving churches, people leaving even ministry, and many Christians left disillusioned. I mean, that's far more than I like to see. And so we're left asking, where's the love? Where's this type of love? God's type of sacrificial, selfless, self-giving type of love. You see, love amongst Christians, love from Christians, is not an option. It is, in fact, a necessity, what we see in the next verse. And what a terrible witness we are to God in our world if there is no love. If the world can point their finger upon the church and say, where's the love? That is a disappointment. You see, I don't get to choose whom I love and when I love. That's not an option. Because God loves me, then I must love always, all the time, 24-7, not just when it's easy and convenient and comfortable. 
And so verse 7, pretty simple and pretty straight. John says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Very simple, basic command, but it really goes to the heart of the universe and it goes to the heart of God himself. And so the love of God comes to us. Now what we read in the next verse is in fact quite profound. It must also be completed, or the other word is made perfect by overflowing to others. You see, the love of God is not yet complete or perfected until it moves out from us to others. The love of God is not meant to just come to us and stay there. We get it all, we hoard it all, and that is it. No, it's meant to change us, affect us, move us, so that it might overflow to others, so that people might experience the love we've experienced from God. It moves from us to others, and that is when the love of God is made perfect or made complete. And this is, in fact, what we try to make clear when Yvonne and myself, we do our marriage counselling with couples planning to get married. We make this explicitly clear to them. I mean, they're all happy and you know, up in the clouds uh, thinking about marriage and excited about love and romance and all that, but we make this clear to them. We say in one of our sessions, your, your marriage is stronger not only when you have a deep sacrificial love for each other as husband and wife, but the strength of your marriage is seen in how much your love overflows to those outside your marriage. You see, you're not married so that you can gaze into each other's eyes for the rest of your life. You're not married so that you can become introverted and inward-looking in your marriage. That's not God's design for marriage. And so we say to Naomi, even if you think about that, how boring would such a marriage be? Just look into each other's eyes for life. It will get boring. The eyes don't change. They just get older. But instead, as you experience God's love for you, your love is meant to overflow to those outside your marriage. You use your marriage in the service of God. That's a stronger marriage. An introverted marriage is a weak marriage. And that's really true of all relationships, isn't it? Love that comes from God, that comes into my family... It's not meant to just stay in my family. It's meant to overflow to those outside my family. Or love that comes from God to us as his people, as the church, is not meant to just stay here, but it's meant to overflow from us into the community. That is how the love of God is strange, but it is how the love of God is made complete. It doesn't stop with us, but it goes on. And so we see verse 12. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete or perfect in us. And so from this passage, perhaps one of the most dense passages of Scripture that speaks of love, we see love is from God originally and it comes to us sacrificially. And love, when it comes to us, it necessarily and must perfectly overflow to others. Pretty simple, isn't it? God's love to us, and then from us to others. Very simple. And so when we are to think and talk about love, in light of this passage, 
What then do we mean? What is it about? Well, first and foremost, we must remember it is firstly about God's love for us. Not our idea, not our invention, God's love for us. It's never that we love God first, but that he loves us first, our warts and all. And secondly, love is about our love for each other, an overflow of God's love to us that goes to those around us. So let's explore those two points for a moment. First, that God would love us in the first place. We have to reflect on that for a moment. That God of heaven and earth, the holy, pure God, would love us in the first place. We can never stop marveling at that fact. We can never stop standing in awe at that fact. And we need to feel it. The God of heaven and earth would love us. The other week when uh, we were away on holidays, I was up at uh, Mount Hotham, and it's just beautiful up there. You see the mountain ranges, the snow-capped mountains, and it is just big. And as I reflected on myself, I'm just a tiny speck amongst these mountains. But yet this is the God who not just made those mountains, but the universe, everything, the stars, the moon. But yet he would love me, that he would love you. I mean, have you considered how insignificant we are? But yet God would care and love us still. You see, it's too easy to think that somehow, because God loves me, it must be because of me somehow, that I'm loved by God because of something I did, that somehow even a little bit, even a little tiny bit, that I deserve the love of God. Very easy to think that way. But the Bible says no, not at all, not one bit. Instead, it's a bit like, uh, you know the movie Sound of Music, the old classic from the 60s or I don't even know, before I was born anyway. There's this scene in that movie. Now, I only managed to watch this movie last year. It took me 38 years to get through it. But I only managed to watch it last year. And I forced my kids, let's watch this together as a family, this great classic that I've been hearing. We must watch it. Now, for my boys, as we were watching The Sound of Music, it was like torture. <laughs> They're thinking, when's the action going to happen? Why all this singing? But Esther, my daughter, she's just giggling away throughout the movie. But there's this one scene towards the end of the movie when Captain Von Trapp and Maria, they find each other at night and they find love. So romantic, isn't it? My boy's just frustrated. This is torture. <laughs> and what do they do when they find each other? Well, in The Sound of Music, they break out in song. So romantic. And they sing this one line which says... In my childhood, I must have done something good. That's why we found love. That's why we found each other. That's why we found romance. Because we did something good. Now, often as Christians, we like to think that way about ourselves. But not so with God. Not because we've done something good. You see, God loves because he loves that is the type of God God is. God is love, as we have learned in this passage. A love that does not depend on me. 
mean, how terrible, how terrifying, how lonely that would be if, our, if the love of God depended on us. I mean, this is a love that would even extend to shameful, guilty sinners like you and me. God sees into our heart and sees the filth and the dirt and says, I love you still. I want to change you, but I love you still. You see, there is no love like it. There's no love like the love of God. And that's why the New Testament writers had to invent a new word. Now, Timothy Keller, he puts it this way. He, he says, The only love that won't disappoint you is one that can't change, that can't be lost, that is not based on the ups and downs of life or of how well you live. It is something that not even death can take away from you. God's love is the only thing like that. Such is the love of God, a love that does not change, a love that does not depend on us, but also a love that will cost him the life of his son. And so when you know that, no one, not one person, can ever throw up their arms and blame God and complain to God, I'm not loved by God. God does not care for me. God does not love me. That's not true. Yes, he does. Just look to the cross, and there you see the love of God. Just look to his son who bled, who was crucified, who died, and there you see the love of God. And such is the love of God for us. We must remember this and continue to marvel in this. Never stop standing in awe of this fact. And so firstly, as we have thought about the love of God for us, and if we have experienced this love of God, what difference then must it make to us and our life and our experience? Well, it has to make a difference. It just has to. The love of God is so big that when it comes to us, it has to overflow to each other. If it doesn't, the Apostle John says, if you don't love your brother, then you are a liar, you are a hypocrite, you are a fake. We don't want to see that in the church. But love that comes from God must overflow to each other. And so let me ask all of us this morning, how well do you think we are going at loving each other? Everywhere, but also just in church. How well are we going at loving each other? Well, as I reflected on this, in many ways, the love of God is evident amongst us. We can see it and we do experience it. I mean, I hope you would agree with me as well. When someone has a child in our church, a few people will put up their hands, let's cook a meal for that person. During the holiday club, uh, the toilets, they were filthy with these kids just doing their business everywhere, but they needed to be cleaned, and someone did every single day. That's love, isn't it? Some families from amongst our church, most Sundays, would show warm hospitality, inviting people from church over. Last week, we had a wonderful newcomer's lunch with over 50 people in a home. Wonderful expression of love from amongst us. Someone goes into a hospital and there's someone there from church visiting. Some use their cars like taxis driving people to and from church each week. 
Many give up their weeknights. I mean, you can relax on a weeknight, but many give up their weeknights to lead and attend a growth group, lead and go to a youth group, lead and serve in many ways, serve with the gifts that God has entrusted to them. Some I know have struggled financially and a group got together and said, let us pay for this, let us help you out. Some are struggling with depression and there are brothers and sisters who are walking with them. We will bear your burden and we will pray for you. Some write cards and send texts to each other saying, we've prayed for you today. Keep trusting in our good God. Some always seeking out, where can I serve more? Even just last week, someone came up to me after the service and said, I want to be involved in this church family. I want to serve. I want to use my hands. And some just keep on loving and loving and loving, selflessly, humbly, but yet so joyfully. I mean, that's what we do see amongst us, and it is brilliant. It is the evidence of the love of God for us that has overflowed from us to each other. That is the type of God we love and serve. But now my question is, do you think we can do better? Do you think we should be satisfied with what's happening already? Do, we, do you think we can sort of turn up the heat a bit on our love for each other? Well, here's a simple test to see whether we can or should. To love each other means we need to know each other. It means that we need to know each other as the family of God. And so let me ask you, do you know everyone's name in this building? Do you? I mean, if you love someone, you better know their name, right? That's at least the first thing. And so what might that suggest if we don't know everyone's name? Well, it might just be difficult. There's too many people and, you know, as, as some of us might not have memories like whatever, we, it's just difficult. It's just hard. It can be overwhelming. But it's a simple test, isn't it? Though I might not know everyone's name, should I? Well, love says yes. Of course you should. That's your family. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll be with them for all eternity. Get to know them now. And so wouldn't that be a good way to begin loving each other more, turning up the heat on love, to get to know each other, at least our names? Now, in our evening service recently, I've been reminding the people in the evening, uh, giving them a, a challenge that I gave a few years ago at a church camp. And it's a simple challenge, two things each week for them to do. Two things each week. And that is, after our service, first five minutes, don't spend time talking to your friends and your mates. First five minutes, that's all. Go and seek out someone you don't know so that you might know them, so that you might know their name. Go and seek out a visitor, a newcomer, get to know them. I mean, don't worry about your friends, first five minutes, they'll still be your friends, it's okay. And so first five minutes, avoid your friends like a plague. Seek someone else. First thing. The second thing each week, I've been reminding the evening group, each week, aim for just one deep and meaningful conversation that goes beyond the weather and the weekend. Just one each week. One, deeper. How do you think about what we heard today? How should we be challenged? What, what difference do you think that makes? Or how is your life going? 
How are you travelling as a Christian? And it's when we ask those questions that it goes beyond the weather. It's when we ask those questions, and often every week I will hear something, there's something I can pray for. As we ask those questions, we hear of each other's burdens and issues and, and things that we need each other's shoulders to lean on. And so each week, just aim for one, not many, but just one deep and meaningful conversation that goes deeper, more spiritual. Now, the evening, they've been encouraged this recently, but for the last few years, they know about it. And what we've seen is a change of culture. They actually like each other in the evening. It's actually just a blessing to see as a pastor. They like hanging out together. They like talking to each other, spending time with each other. In fact, just last week, I couldn't get home till past 10 p.m. because they didn't want to leave church. It is wonderful to see. But for them, there is more for us. At least we can begin by knowing each other's name. And so there is love, isn't there? But we can turn up the heat a bit more. All of us can work on this. And we must remember this passage. Jesus died for me, not so that I can live for myself. God loves me, not so that I go on loving myself. And our standard for each other is we shouldn't be aiming to love each other at the bare minimum. Because if we're only loving each other at the bare minimum, what does that say about God's love for us? That God only loves us in such a way? Well, of course not. We aim instead to love each other more and more, even when it costs us, especially when it costs us, just like it did for God, so that step by step, our love might become a closer reflection of the heart of God. And so what have we seen? The love that has come from God to us has come so that it might overflow to each other. Let's be such a church. Let's pray. Dear gracious and loving Heavenly Father, how glorious is your great, sacrificial, selfless, self-giving love for us, shown to us in the giving of your Son. And so we praise you for your love and we thank you for your gracious love to us. But we pray, Lord, that you will shape us by your love, that we might overflow with the love we have experienced from you and that our love might overflow to each other and that somehow our heart might reflect more and more of the heart of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.